Take your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 139. <clears throat> I love the book of Psalms. It, uh, it is a, it's a hymn book. It's a prayer book. Uh, one, of the, one of the most uh, rewarding things that I have learned to do is to go to the Psalms and pray and make, make, them, make it my own. For instance, if you pray Psalm 23, one of the most famous ones, the Lord is my shepherd, you know, and, and you pray and say, thank you, Lord, for being my shepherd. Thank you that, that because of you, I have no need of anything. You know, and so I love the Psalms and Psalm 139 is my favorite Psalm. It's a Psalm that um, speaks of the personal knowledge of God towards us. That God doesn't just know who I am. He knows me. You know, it's interesting because a lot of times when we go into evangelism and we go and witness to people, one of the first things we ask them is, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? That's what we ask them. When was the last time you asked someone, does Jesus know you? Because Jesus himself tells us that the day will come when many will say to him, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? Lord, we know you. And he says, I don't know you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You see, it's important that we know Jesus, but what's even more important is that he knows me. Does, does he know us? And, and we live today in days of, of great uncertainty. We are seeing the persecution of God's people all across the globe. Uh, in the last five to ten years, it has just exploded. And we're seeing it even here in our own country. <clears throat> in a nation that promises us the freedom of religion, we are seeing the persecution of God's people. What do the days ahead look like for us as God's people? Should we be afraid? Should we be concerned about the, about the future and what's going to happen? Psalm 139 is strongly theological. It deals with important doctrines like God's omniscience, that God knows all. He knows everything, uh, his omnipresence, that there is nowhere that God is not at. He is everywhere. And then there is God's omnipotence, that he is not only the all-knowing and all-seeing God, but he is the all-powerful God. There's none greater than God. There's none. But it's, it's also personal because it speaks of these attributes of God's in a way that impacted David when he wrote this. And it impacts us, too. Uh, look at verses 1 through 12 right quick. He says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before 
and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. This is not mere omniscience. This is not merely that God knows everything, but it's a knowledge that he says, you have searched me and known me. Now, now don't get the idea here that the psalmist is saying that God, he searched me and learned something he didn't already know. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, you, above all else, you know me, God. You know what's in the depths of my heart. You know what's there. And, and it's not mere just uh, knowing, but it's personal. It's a personal knowing. You know, we, we spend a lot of uh, time. Uh, you, you ever heard of somebody, you know what a name dropper is, right? I'm a name dropper. I know Jesus. <laughs> he knows me. That's not what I'm talking about, though. You know what I'm talking about. People that are always saying, well, you know, I used to work with a guy that uh, he, he told me. He said, you know, he said, I live next door to Emmett Smith. Everybody knows who Emmett Smith is, right? He says, well, I live. And, and, you know, that just fascinated us because we're all huge cowboy fans. You know, we're saved and all that. So uh, he kept telling us, he said, oh, yeah, I know Emmett. So about a year later, now at the time I was a house painter. You know, that's what I did most of my life was a house painter. And so uh, this, this realtor that I worked for, she got me a job painting this condo for a guy by the name of Emmett Smith. <laughs> so we went to Emmett's house and this guy was with us and, and he didn't know where we were going. We were going to surprise him to meet him friend, Emmett Smith. Yeah, Emmett had no clue who he was. <laughs> It was very embarrassing for him. But you see, God says, the, the psalmist says, Lord, you have searched me. You know me. You don't just know who I am. You don't just know what I am. You know me. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. When I look into the recesses of my heart, that kind of scares me. Did you know that there are things in my heart that you don't know about? Did you know there are things in my heart I don't even know about? But God knows it all. He knows it all. And so it's, it's not mere uh, omniscience, but a knowledge that knows Him completely. It's personal. It's not mere omnipresence, but a presence uh, that there is nowhere He can go where God is not. It is not mere creative power, but it is a power that shaped Him that formed him. And, and this truth, uh, it, it, it fills the psalmist's soul. And the, the, the personal theology of Psalm 139 is the very essence of worship. This is what we are called. This is what David is doing in Psalm 139. He, he, he's setting God up and he's, he, he's proclaiming, God, here's who you are. 
And Lord, you, you, are, you are great beyond my comprehension. The psalm is specifically dedicated, it says, to the director of music. This was obviously a song that was sung for worship in the temple. And, and this psalm has two practical aims found in it. Number one, the writer wants to separate himself from all who deliberately practice evil. We're going to find that at the end of the psalm. He wants to separate himself. Let me ask you something. When I ask you, do you know the Lord? And then I ask you, does the Lord know you? Because you see, if you know him and he knows you, I want to tell you something, folks. There's one thing above all else you have in common with the Lord when you know him. And that is you will hate sin and you will seek to separate yourself from sin. And so that's what the psalmist is saying here. But he also wants God to search him out thoroughly and purge him from anything that might be offensive to God. Uh, in, in several of the other psalms, David would write and he would say, Lord, forgive me of my secret sins. Now, he's not talking about sins that he commits that nobody else knows about. David's talking about sins he commits that he don't even know about. Did you know that we do that? So, you know, that's why for the Christian life begins with repentance, but it also is lived out through repentance because we are constantly having to go to God. And so the psalmist says, Lord, I want you. You are the one that knows me above all else. So, Lord, search me, find out what's in my heart and then cleanse it. Clean me. Make me clean. This is what David is calling for God to do. Uh, this psalm has seven stanzas, and, and they fall into to four easily recognized parts. He praises God for God's omniscience there in the first six verses. Let's read those again. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Now, you notice what he says right there. You discern my thoughts from afar. Did you know that your thoughts in your head are shouted all over heaven. Somebody once said that a secret sin on earth is an open scandal in heaven. And we need to understand, this is what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, God, I understand that even my thoughts, you know them before I ever speak them. Now, that should scare us to death. You realize that? But if we look at it from David's point of view, no, it shouldn't frighten us. It should comfort us because he, he's calling on God to change this. He wants God. He says, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. David says, I cannot comprehend this. I cannot comprehend, God, how you do this. Uh, this. The theme of these first six verses is the omniscience of God, the all-knowingness of God. God sees and he knows everything. And, and David expresses this in wonder and adoration. And confession is, is one way in which we worship God. You know, the word confess just simply means to agree with. It means that see, when I go to God and confess my sins, it's not like I go and say, Lord... 
I lied today. And God says, oh, really, you did? No, that's not how it works. You see, God already knows it. It's, I'm not telling him anything he doesn't already know. All I'm doing is saying, Lord, I lied today. And he says, I know you did. And you know you did, and I know you did, so now we're on the same page. And, you know, that's exactly what happened in the garden when, when after Adam and Eve had sinned and, and God comes walking in the cool of the garden and it says that Adam and Eve, what did they do? They ran and they hid. And God cries out and says, Adam, where are you? Now, do you think God knew where Adam was? He says, Eve, what have you done? Did he know what Eve had done? Well, then why the questions? <laughs> because you see, God wanted to see if Adam knew where Adam was. He wanted to see if Eve comprehended what she had done. And so they confessed their sins. Of course, you know what happened next. God clothed them with animal skins. God took care of it after they had confessed what they had done. And so the psalmist here, he's saying, you know, God, the, 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 the thoughts in my head, you know, my words before I ever speak them. And confession is one way that we worship God. And the unique quality of the knowledge possessed by God is absolute perfection. God knows me. Look what he says there in verse... Um, Three, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. All my ways. <clears throat> God knows all things and he knows them completely. He knows us perfectly. Now, that will either scare us to death or it will comfort us. For those that are lost, it should scare you to death. For those that are saved, it should be a great comfort to us. Because you ever heard that expression? Um, I think it goes something like a, a real friend is somebody that knows everything about you but loves you anyway. We see that's true of God. That is absolutely true of God. He knows us perfectly. Everything about us. Uh, if you look at verse 6, it says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. In Romans 11.33, Paul said, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. De uh, Paul in Romans is saying the same thing that David is saying here in, in Psalm 139. He's saying, God, you're, you are just too much for me. <laughs> But do you realize that's a good thing? Do you realize that if I could understand God, do you know what would happen? He would cease to be God. Did you know that? If I could understand God, then he would cease to be God. Because the finite cannot understand the infinite. One of the things that I believe you and I who are saved will spend eternity doing is knowing God. Knowing who he is, understanding, and, and it will take all of eternity, and even then we won't know. We will still not understand. So the, the psalmist says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. God, I don't understand this. But he's saying, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you that you know me beyond even how I know myself. It is God's omniscience. We see the perfection of God's knowledge can be very disturbing. You see, it's okay if God knows all about you. 
but it's not okay if he knows all about me. And that's how all of us look at it. We say, God, I'm glad that you know what so-and-so is really like. And so-and-so is over there saying, Lord, I'm glad that you know what Bobby's like. <laughs> See how we do that? But the psalmist is saying, Lord, you know me. You know my thoughts. You know my desires. You know my motives. You know, that is one of the things right there that just fascinates me. Well, I'll be honest with you. It kind of makes me a little nervous. God not only knows what I do, he knows why I do it. Did you know that he is just as interested in why I do something as he is in what I do? Why are you here this morning? Why did you sing the hymns that we sang? As we sang the hymns this morning, did, did you worship God through that? Did you picture what we were singing about? A mighty fortress is our God. Did you think about that song while you were singing and think about God? When we pass the offering plate, why did you give? You know, Paul says we are to give with a cheerful heart. Why are you here? Why are you here? Why did you want to hear the preaching this morning? Is it because this is just something we do every Sunday and you're expected to be here? And if you're not, the preacher will be calling and say, where you been? How come you weren't there? Is that why you're here? Or did you walk through the doors this morning? Did you get up this morning and say, God, I cannot wait to hear what you have to say to me this morning? Lord, I want to hear from you. David is saying here that God knows all these things. But the response of the psalmist is not fear. He's not afraid for God to know his motives. He's not afraid for God to know what's on his mind and what his desires are. He takes refuge in the fact that God knows him perfectly and completely. Because you know what that tells me, that when God knows me like that? Do you know that there have been times in my life, okay, every day, when I have sinned against God? Do you know not one time has it taken him by surprise? Not one time. Not one time has God called a meeting of the Trinity and said, okay, Bobby really got us this time. Guess what he did? He has never, never happens. God knows the end from the beginning. He already knows everything. And you know what? That comforts me. That comforts me to know that when I sin, God says, I know. Not only do I know what you did, I've already made provision for it. That's why the Bible says that Jesus, before the foundation of the world, was prepared. So the psalmist is saying, take refuge in the fact that God knows you. Look at verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I take my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Now, used to... When I used to read this psalm, I used to see those verses right there as David talking about, God, there's nowhere I can run from you. But that's not what he's saying. He's not talking about running away from God. 
He's talking about the fact that God is omnipresent, that he is everywhere. Now, I want to tell you something. It is a natural thing for human beings to want to escape the all-seeing, all-knowing eye of God. Adam, again, who knew God better than we do. But he ran and he hid, thinking that was going to work. He covered themselves with fig leaves, thinking that was going to work when he knew better. But David here is not seeking to escape God's presence. David says that the reason God knows all is because he is everywhere and he knows and sees everything. The psalmist says that you can never escape God, nor does he want to. Now, when you read this passage, do you see this passage uh, as is there is nowhere that you can hide from God? Or do you see this passage as a comfort that God has said, no matter where you go, no matter what happens to you, you are mine. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's what David is saying here. David, remember, throughout his life, David was on the run. For the majority of his life. If he wasn't running from Saul, he was running from Absalom, his own son. And, and, and many of the Psalms, you know, that's why I love in Psalm 4, I think it is, where David says, I will lay down and I will sleep because God, you alone make me dwell in safety. David, in the midst of his trials, in the midst of his uh, running for his life, he says, you know what? I'm going to go to sleep. God's got this. He'll take care of it. That's what he's saying. And right here he is saying the same thing. Rather than fear God's presence, wherever he may be, David says that he is comforted by it. And David, he, he imagines three areas in which escape from God might be thought possible. Up or down in verse 7 and 8. He says, where shall I go to from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. Uh, whether it's heaven or hell, God is there. You know, a lot of people have the idea that hell will be hell because God will not be there. And that is not true. Part of what will make hell hell is that God will be there. Did you know that? But God's grace will not be there. But God himself will be there. Uh, he talks there in verse 9 and 10. He says, if, uh, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. He says, whether I go east or west, go to the far horizons and God is there. You know, turn with me over to Jonah chapter 1. <clears throat> you know, Tim, Tim preached about Jonah last week. God told Jonah, he said, go to the Ninevites and preach to them because I want you to go and call them to repentance. And Jonah didn't want to go because Jonah hated the Ninevites. They were bitter enemies of Israel. So we, we read here in the first six verses of chapter one of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the 
sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things about what happened here with Jonah. God told him, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, nope, not going. So notice what it says in verse um, 3. But Jonah flowed, rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind, uh, I'm sorry, verse 5, then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled into the ship. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laying down. Everywhere, when Jonah began to run from God, do you notice that he just went down and down and down? And not only that, <clears throat> but one of the most frightening things about this story is this right here. People's lives were in danger because of Jonah's disobedience. And you know what he was doing? He was asleep. And, and the captain comes down there and he says, he says, what do you mean, sleeper? Rise up, call on your God. You know what happened when Jonah called on his God? He said, look, my God said, tell you, throw me over. Now, see, Jonah didn't care that they and the last thing any sailor would ever do is throw somebody intentionally overboard. But Jonah said, well, if you want to live, that's what you'll do. So that's what they did. Jonah didn't care. He said, so what if I die? I won't have to go to. But you know what Jonah found out? He said, no matter where I went, God was there. And that's what David is saying here in Psalm 139. He's saying, no matter where I go. Now, David, as I said, he wasn't running from God like Jonah was. This is not what David is saying. But the, 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 the point is the same, that no matter where we go, you and I have the promise of God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I, I think about Jesus when he goes up onto the mountain to pray. And he tells the disciples, get in a boat and go to the other side. Okay? Now, he's up on a mountain. They're on the Sea of Galilee. And as they're going, there's a storm comes up. But you know what the text says? It said Jesus saw them toiling. You know what he did? He walked out there to them. He comes walking on the water. And they thought they'd seen a ghost. You know the story how, you know, Peter said, Lord, if it's you. And so Peter got out and he walked on the water. <clears throat> he began to sink. He prayed the shortest prayer in the Bible. Three words, Lord, save me. You know what Jesus did? It says immediately he picked him up, put him in the boat. You know what it says next? Immediately they were to the other side. But do you see that up on that mountain... He saw what that was happening to him. There, there's nothing that will go on with us that he doesn't know. And I want to tell you, whatever happens to you, if we believe in the sovereignty of God, you know, the last two Sundays you have heard messages on the sovereignty of God. 
Do you believe God is sovereign? Do you believe that everything that happens in your life is ordained of God? That whatever calamity comes upon you tomorrow, God already knows. Not only does he already know, he's the one that orchestrated it. Now we look at that and say, God, why would you bring something in like this into my life? I was listening to um, a message the other day by Alistair Begg, and he was talking about and And when I heard him say this, it was just like, you know, you ever have one of those light bulb moments? This is one of those light bulb moments for me. And this is something I thought I knew and understood till I heard Al Alistair put it. <clears throat> God has a goal and a plan for you and I. You know what that is, right? Paul tells us in the 8th chapter of Romans, it is that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. And you know what Paul tells us in Philippians? That God will accomplish that. But we have to look. The Bible says that Jesus learned obedience by the things He suffered. So if I'm to learn obedience and be like Christ, you know how I'm going to learn it? By suffering. And so I, I, I was listening to this and I thought, wow, how did I not see that? That whatever calamity may come into my life tomorrow, it's all part of making me into the image of Christ. See, we have this idea that when bad things happen to us, that's God judging us for our sin. And if that's true... We crucified Jesus for nothing. Do you know that? Did you know that if God ever judges me for one sin, Jesus died for nothing? But he won't. See, and, and so the, the psalmist is saying, no matter where I go, no matter what I do, God, you are there. You know everything. He says, even the darkness is just like broad daylight to you. Have, have you ever found yourself like David did? Where it seemed like you lived in a perpetual darkness. You had, you, you, it seems like you didn't know which way to turn. You didn't know where to go. You didn't know what to do. David found himself there. I have found myself there. But David is saying, you know what, God, even in those times when it is completely dark to me, you can see it perfectly. You know it all. These verses should be Memorized, They should be hidden in our hearts. David had learned what it is to be known by God and to still be loved. me, O oh God. Do you, have, <clears throat> do you have a love for God? If you love God, say amen. amen. Do you want to be like Christ? Then let me tell you something that you ought to do on a daily basis. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. Some translations read any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. If you truly love, have a love for God, if you truly have a desire to be conformed to the image of Christ, you will pray something like this. And you will say, God, whatever it takes, do it.
Whatever you have to take away from me, whatever you have to put me through, whatever you have to bring into my life, if it will get me to the goal of being like Christ, then Lord, do it. Because of what he has done. The psalmist wants nothing to do with evil or evil people, and he wants nothing to endanger his relationship to God. He wants to continue walking and growing in God's way. David knows that he's a sinful man, and he appeals to God to search him out in order to be led in a righteous way. Here's what appreciation of the omniscience of God should do for every believer. It should humble us. It should humble us recognizing that he's God and we're not. That ought to be cause for rejoicing, by the way. Do you know what would happen if I were God? You know, I often thought about Jesus hanging there on that cross. God in the flesh. And you remember, he, he told his disciples, he says, look, he said, I could call 10,000 angels and they would come and deliver me. But he didn't. But you know, as he hung there on that cross and they were mocking him and saying, if you'll just come down, we'll believe you. I would have got down and said, see, I told you, but I'm glad he didn't. You know why? Because he's God and I'm not. And that ought to be comforting to us. It should comfort us to know that God knows the worst about us, that there's nothing that you can hide from God. And it is so ridiculous to think that we can hide anything from the one who knows everything. God doesn't learn anything. Did you know that? As years go by, from our perspective, as years go by, centuries go by, Millenniums go by. God doesn't learn anything. He already knows it. He already knows that. And it should encourage us to want to live for God because He knows us and He wants to help us. And it should help us to pray. God's knowledge of what we need is so perfect <clears throat> that He often answers before we even pray. You know, what an, what an interesting thing Jesus even told us. He says, your heavenly father knows what you have need of before you even ask him. But yet, I'm still commanded to ask. You realize that? God wants me to pray. You know what praying does? Praying says, God, I am totally dependent on you. I can't do this without you. And so God knows everything, and He's everywhere, which should fortify us as believers that no matter what the days ahead may be, no matter what may come personally into your life or my life in the coming days, it doesn't matter. God has said, I have this. I ordained this. Don't be afraid. You know, I found it interesting that Jesus comes walking on the water, and He says to those disciples, don't be afraid. Yeah, right. <laughs> Like they'd see people walking on the water all the time. But you know what's interesting about that? When Jesus said, don't be afraid, it's what he said after that that calmed their fears. Now, it doesn't read exactly this way in our modern translations, but in the original language, what Jesus said is, don't be afraid, for I am. And when he said, I am, you know what that was? He basically said, don't be afraid. I'm Yahweh. That probably scared them more than seeing him walk on water. 
But at the same time, it comforted them. They said, this is God. This is God. And we, we understand that you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us who follow him and by faith have placed our faith and trust that our God has said, I have you. And I want to tell you, any time that I as a believer get to thinking that my life is in my hands, God will do something to show me that ain't true. Every time I as a believer get to thinking that somehow this whole salvation thing is about me, God will do something to let me know that it's not. That it's only about Him. It's only about Christ. And although He knows all about us, He loves us in Christ. He will not condemn us. And in our worst problems, God is right there with us. His right hand is holding us. You know, I, I love the part in, in, I believe it's in the book of Joshua. Joshua is about to, Moses has died and Joshua is about to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And God says to him, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All right. Now, I, I know we're not much of a shouting kind of church, but <laughs> listen, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do you know who sits at the right hand of the father? That's Jesus. You know what Paul, what God was saying to Joshua? He was saying, Joshua, my son has you. The one who sits at my right hand, the place of authority, the place of power. And today he says to you and I, he says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And, and the psalmist David, he is saying, look, he's saying from beginning of that psalm to the end, God knows everything about you, even the stuff you don't know. And he has promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. So the psalmist is saying, so what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Live your life for me. You know, we, we, we talked about the last uh, Sunday night we were here talking about church history and we, we talked about those who have been martyred for their faith, and I asked the question, what is it that makes someone willingly put themselves in a position where they know they're going to die for their faith? And we figured that it's the resolve that they know God. That's all it is. They know God. And, and when you know God, what Paul said then what in the world are you afraid of? Amen. Let's pray. Father, oh God, we are so grateful this morning because, Father, you have shown us that no matter where we go, no matter what we do, you're there. No matter what comes into our life, we know that you are sovereign, that you have ordained all things. Father, we claim to be your people, that we trust you, Father, but so often we live our lives as if we don't. Lord, teach us to number our days. Father, help us to remember that our life is but a vapor. It's here and it's gone in an instant. 
that none of us know the day of our departure, but you do, Father. So help us to just trust things, Father, that we cannot control into your hands. And, Father, help us to understand that there is nothing we can control. Lord, as we come now to your table, I pray that each one of us, Father, would take a moment to ask you, Father, to search our hearts, to examine ourselves. See if there be any wicked way in us. Lord, we might come to your table with clean hands and clean hearts as we share together in the gospel of the death and burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name.